Here at Early Excellence, we specialise in early childhood education. We offer expert advice and guidance through training, consultancy and classroom design. With the Early Excellence podcast, we aim to inspire and support you as well as challenge your thinking. So if that's what you're looking for, you've come to the right place. Hello everybody, Andy Burt here. I hope that you've had a really good start to the new school year. Now, the start of the year, the start of the school year, is a great time to revisit key elements of your practice. Uh, And that's exactly what we're going to do in this episode. This week, I'm joined by my colleague, Claire King, as we discuss what we mean by high-quality continuous provision. Claire, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, you're most welcome. It's lovely to be part of this podcast. Oh, fab. Um, I don't quite know how you've managed to escape this long. Um, <laughs> you've, not, you've not been with us that long at Early Excellence, have you? Um, when did you start? So I started this January, yes, yeah, so coming up for six months. Very good. And how are you finding things? Oh, yeah, really enjoying it. It's really great to be out visiting schools, um, you know, really getting a picture of what the provision looks like in a variety of schools and just helping them to, you know, give the children the very best. So, yeah, it's been a great experience. Fab, fab. And for people who don't know you, obviously, you've been, you've been traveling around um, work, as you say, working with schools all over the place, mostly in the Midlands and mostly in the south of England. Um, if people haven't come into contact with you yet and don't know of you and your work, do you want, are you all right to just give us a bit of background? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I'm actually based in Cambridgeshire. Uh, I moved here three years ago from Kent. Um, I have had a variety of positions within school, sort of ranging from head of early years, deputy head, um, acting head of school, as well as being a strategic manager of a children's centre. Most of my experience based in Kent. So having this job at Early Excellence and being back in Kent and sort of the southeast, visiting some of the schools that I know has been, you know, really rewarding to see that learning journey that they've been on. Um, so, yeah, it's, yeah, it's been absolutely great. Fab, fab. Sounds like a really interesting background. Yeah, lots of different roles. Yeah, really yeah, interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, mainly um, centred around early years. Um, obviously, a lot of um, within the primary school as well, but really laying those foundations, you know, for good quality early years provision in schools. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so we are going to be talking all about one of our best topics, our favourite topics at Early Excellence, and that is continuous provision. Okay, I don't quite know. It was pointed out to me recently. I don't quite know why it is we haven't done an episode just on continuous provision. We might have done, it's possible we might have talked about it a little bit in one of the earlier ones, the very, very early podcasts, but we've certainly not done a kind of an interview version of that. Um, And so, uh, yeah, it'd be a good one to talk about. Um, So uh, it, it is, of course, something that is always something that I think earliest teachers and key stage one teachers talk a lot about the idea of their provision and getting it right um, and it's also I think an area of practice that is often really misunderstood you know we have I think in the early years we have our own specific um, often our own specific language you know our own our own, our own thing our own terms that we use. Uh, which is great in that actually, you know, we can 
talk as early as in Key Stage 1 teachers. When we meet each other, we talk in this particular shared language. But it does sometimes mean that actually people coming into that or people who are kind of looking into it from outside sometimes end up using a term that doesn't quite fit. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I find that quite a lot, that people will use terms like enhancement and they use the term enhancement not in the way that I would expect it to be used. So um, they will say, oh, we want to enhance this. Uh, we want it to be, we want, we want enhancement and their meaning improvement. Whereas, of course, enhancement in terms of an early years uh, terminology would, would be more likely to mean something that is an addition to what is there within your continuous provision. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think from you know being in schools myself, but also being part of early excellence and visiting more schools, I think that's you know a, a real there's a real difference in the terminology people use and that understanding of continuous provision. And I have lots of conversations around what actual what is continuous provision, what does that look like within your setting, and and often it is enhancements they they're using. And, and using that terminology of continuous provision. So, yeah, a lot of in-depth conversations and, and different meanings to it. Yes, which, of course, then, because you've got that confusion, it often then doesn't help in terms of moving the practice forward because different people will have a different idea of actually what is it that we're meaning by continuous provision or enhancements or whatever it might be. And it's very difficult then to have a shared idea of how we improve that practice if even from the very beginning, we've got a little bit of confusion there. So as part of this episode, what we're going to aim to do is to kind of tackle some of that. So we're going to really focus in on continuous provision and what we mean by it, okay? And then actually what it will look like as part of practice, how we go about developing it and so on. So Claire... Are you ready for a starter for 10? I am ready. <laughs> right, here we go. So, Claire, what is continuous provision? Yeah, continuous provision, it's looking at that provision you have within your classroom. It's looking at that the organisation of the resources um, into those defined areas. And you're looking at the layout of the classroom and how you position those areas within your classroom and they're going to be based on what we know children naturally do in terms of child development, those natural in, um, interests they have, as well as those next developmental stages. And I think one key thing to really notice is it's something that's continuously there. It's not changed on a weekly basis. It's something that is available for the children all year round, every day. Um, and it's really about looking at the resources you provide within those areas, that they're rich, high-quality um, resources, ones that you've really carefully thought about why you're putting them there, you know, how they're going to support children's learning. Fantastic. Good, good answer, Claire. Very good answer. Okay, right, so very good start. What is it not then? So it's not something you're going to continually change. So this is often a lot of the question that I have when I'm visiting schools and they're like, we, we don't know what to plan next for our continuous provision. Well, actually, that is in terms of an enhancement. So the continuous provision is not going to change weekly. You're not going to be changing the offer of the resources you're providing because you've carefully thought about them at the start of the year. So, you know, they're going to offer rich learning experiences 
And it's something that is consistent. It's always there for the children. It's not about strolling through, you know, Facebook groups or Pinterest, although they're full of lovely ideas. It's not about pulling those ideas off and having those in your continuous provision every week. Yes. And and I think there is, um, I think there's something to be said here around, um, around the amount of time that we spend every week on our environment in terms of changes. Um, I think it's important. I, like you said, I think it's really important to consider actually the kind of the, the, the what and the why that we do certain things and, and to make sure that all of the aspects of our practice kind of earn their place really. Um, so quite often I find, and I'm sure you'll have found the same, Claire, that there are, there are times when when I work and support with um, schools and settings where the team have got into a habit of changing absolutely everything almost it feels like every week and I think that's a natural thing that often happens when we are not confident that the continuous provision is working so if if the if the overall environment that we're talking about that 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 remains the same that you know whether that be your water area, your sand area, your dough area, writing area, maths area, paint workshop, all of those different spaces. If we're not confident that when the children go off, that actually there's real quality going on within those spaces, I think that leads us into often kind of trying to trying to respond to that. Okay, we can see it's not quite working, and we 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 often I think in terms of practice we have a sort of a knee-jerk reaction to it. And sometimes subconsciously what we do is we keep the children for longer on the carpet because we think, well, actually, if I've got them in a more directed context, whether that be at the group table or on the carpet, then, then actually it's, I, I, can feel, I feel a bit more secure as a teacher because I know that actually I'm in control of the quality that's happening here. But this, and the second thing that we do, I think, that I see quite a lot, is that we try to make up for the fact that the overall environment isn't really engaging the children enough by coming up with more and more short-term ideas that will that will hopefully hold the interests of the children every single week. And it ends up with this sort of practice which is very difficult to sustain because it involves a lot of adult work every single week of adults packing away lots of things that are out in each area and getting new things out or new ideas out and making signs for lots of new challenges or new things that should be happening in every single area. And it means that every week there's this big turnover. You know, Friday's a changeover day and Mondays are getting things up and running day. Um, So you've already lost two days in the week, almost, it feels like. But also... Every Monday, you're having to say to the children, if you go into the dough area this week, there's this in this area. And you can do this. And I've added this in. And if you go into the water area this week, guess what's there? I've put this in and so on. And you can time that by 10 or, you know, however many different areas you've got. Now, the problem with that I I found, and you probably will have found the same, I think, is that is that over time that has a decreasing impact. If you do that for the first couple of weeks, initially because there are changes there and there's this new, this this, uh, 
this new resource or this this new thing that the children have been asked to do, it it seems exciting and the children go to it and they do exactly what they've been asked. But then fast forward to five or six or seven weeks into a half term and the children have had so many changes every week that actually it becomes less effective every time you do it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like we're encouraging then the children to not persevere and stay activities because actually they know that there's not going to be that opportunity to continue to come back to it and rehearse and practice everything they've been doing or build upon that learning because actually it's going to be changed again so actually we're not really encouraging the children to persevere so much if if things are constantly changing we're not encouraging them to build upon and extend that learning you know really create that deep learning and that, that really involvement in those investigations if we're constantly changing things for them Yes, absolutely. So, so the yeah, I think the focus is is often wrong. I think the focus is on the short term getting things done, rather than actually what are the learning attributes that we want to we want the children to develop. And I think a lot of the learning attributes that we want children to develop are actually based on consistency, rather than change. So. If we offer children lots and lots of changes, lots of short bursts of things changing around them, then actually they're less likely to be independent. You know, they're less likely because they're passive in that process. You know, somebody's bringing the learning to them and saying, well, this is what you're doing. Whereas actually what we want them to do is to be independent and to be independent thinkers, to, to have their own ideas and carry those ideas out, to 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 think, well, actually, I'm going to go back to that idea I did before. I'm going to see if I can carry that on. Whereas, of course, if something keeps changing, that doesn't work in quite the same way. Also, I think I think we change the balance of it when we say to the children, if you go into this area, this is what I want you to do, because children naturally want to impress the adults. You know, they will do it. That You know, they really will, and they really want to do the, the thing that you've said, this is what I want you to do. But if you do that every single week, by the end of it, you've just got children who are waiting for the adult to tell them what to do, not children who are coming into it with an idea. Yeah, absolutely. And if we think about the characteristics of effective learning, you know, we really want children to be critical thinkers. We really want them to be able to be able to get into an activity, really thumb pick it, investigate that collaboration. And if we're constantly providing short term activities, it becomes more of a complete the activity move on rather than really delving deep into that learning yeah yeah absolutely okay we've kind of covered something that I was going to talk about next and ask you about next and that is um, why is continuous provision important we've covered some of those aspects haven't we those characteristics you wanted to, to talk people through those characteristics yeah absolutely so you know it's really important that in early years we really think about the characteristics of effective learning actually not just even in early years throughout the school because if we're starting to see some of those characteristics of learning then we know we've got effective learning so when we think about active learning we know developmentally children need to go through that active process to enable that sort of cognitive um that learning to happen alongside that physical learning And when we think about that critical thinking and those investigation skills, you know, by the rich learning environment we provide for our children, that continuous provision will really enable them to be able to demonstrate those effective characteristics. And then we know we've got, you know, good learning taking place. 
Yes, absolutely. I, I, I also think as well um, that we don't use the characteristics of effective learning enough, in my, in my opinion. You know, that, that in my work with schools and settings, that I often find that we spend a lot of time thinking about what children are learning. You know, the what, you know, the content. You know, we, we are obsessed by the, the content, the curriculum content. And, and of course, that's important. You know, I'm not, there's no getting away from that. You know, what children learn is really important. Of course it is. But surely when children are three, four and five, it's as important, if not more important, that actually they are developing as learners. You know, it's not just about the what, is it? Not really. And so, and so I, th- and, and, but with that in mind, we really don't use that, those characteristics enough. It's not, it's not a shared language, I think. You know, it's not something that, that really is talked about in as much depth as I think really it should be. No, I often find that those conversations around the characteristics of effective learning end up happening at the end of the year. It's that reporting process to parents or, you know, to our year one colleagues that then we start to use that language of characteristics of learning. And but actually, we need to be using them all year because actually they're indicators that things are effective for us, that actually deep learning is happening and we want children to become lifelong learners. So therefore, we need to enable these skills to happen because it's these skills they will carry on forward, regardless of the content or knowledge that, that we then layer alongside those areas of learning. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I always say to people, you know, that the characteristics, you could use them as an audit tool. You know, so, so stand in your room. If, if you are wanting to really have effective action planning, Use your characteristics as an effect of, a, of effective learning as a starting point for action planning. You know, can you can you see using the characteristics? Can you see areas of your provision that are working really well? Can you identify the strengths? And conversely, can you identify the areas that are not working well through observing where the characteristics of effective learning are easy to see within your classroom? And it means, of course, that the process is really much more streamlined because you're focusing in on strengths and weaknesses based really on what you know. You're not just changing over an area to freshen it up. You're not just moving things around because actually you need some change. You're really focusing in on the quality of it, I think. Right, Claire, this is really interesting. Thank you so much. We are really, really interesting to talk to you about this. Um, we've covered some of this already. Um, but I wanted to ask this question because I think it's key. Um, why is continuous provision important? We've talked a little bit about those characteristics, haven't we? But let's 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 explore it in a bit more depth. Why is it important? Why the why are the, the why is continuous provision important? Yeah, when we think about that learning process that children go on, you know, it we really do need to go back to those characteristics of effective learning because if we're seeing those elements within our children, then then we know that learning is effective. And that's where continuous provision really comes into its own and offers that strength as that third teacher. You know, it's offering opportunities to be able to engage in that critical thinking, asking those questions, those opportunities to problem solve and investigate. And continuous provision will offer that by the the opportunities that are open ended, those resources that enable children to be able to take an idea and really flow with that. And that's why it's really important that we really use those characteristics 
characteristics of the effective learning alongside monitoring our continuous provision to see that we are getting it right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I often find that we don't use those characteristics enough, I think, you know, that, that actually they should be really very much a part of the conversation all of the time. You know, they, they really should be part of our practice or right the way through the day, really, because whereas I tend to find that actually we talk a lot about the curriculum content. You know, a lot of our planning is based around just the what, you know, what is it we want children to learn? What sorts of skills are we wanting them to develop? All of which is important. Of course it is. That's why we're here. However, unless we think about the quality of that process, the real quality of it, then actually, how do we know that what we're doing is as effective as it could be? And so to me, I think the characteristics of effective learning, if we're not careful, they end up just becoming a bit like a bit like the wallpaper to the practice, where it's kind of it's just there and in the background and we don't notice it anymore. Do you know what I mean? Where it was actually it should be right there, central to the practice. I think. Yeah, I often find that it often becomes something that's referred to at the end of the year in that report, reporting process to parents or to, to year one colleagues. Whereas actually, we need to be using it all year round, we need to be seeing that these children are really engaging in those, those learning skills, because actually, when we get that right, they're the lifelong learning skills that children need. And we layer that when with the knowledge and vocabulary we want children to learn. But actually, that can't sit alone. So it's a really important process to use. And, and I've used them in you know, my leadership sort of journey throughout schools, using that as part of that um, sort of observational um, skills, um, those learning walks, using them alongside them, really. Because then actually you can see that children are really de- deeply rooted in their learning. You can see what, what is most effective in the practice that you, you know, you're observing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, so I think that's key, really. I think, I think effective continuous provision really helps to be able to see what, what quality learning looks like in a, in a different context. It's not just about the directed teaching, but quality learning actually happens in a range of contexts, really, and should happen in a range of contexts. So it provides you with those opportunities to see that happening and, and to understand what that looks like in practice, really. Um, the other thing that I think, particularly in the last few years, since the pandemic particularly, um, has really come to the fore is that idea of how, how important interactions are. You know, that we know, of course, that the needs of children coming into school are, are for, for, many, for many schools, for many settings, those key needs are around language needs and around communication skills, um, speaking and listening skills. A lot of those sorts of things are real key needs for our children on entry to school. And it's led to this conversation about the importance of interactions. OK, and which, of course, is, is important. You know, the adult to child interactions, the child to child interactions, all of those back and forth interactions are key. Um, but I think what is often missed is the importance of the environment within that. That I think when we talk about why is continuous provision important, it's partly important also in that it provides the context for those interactions, you know, for those back and forth interactions. Um, it provides, it, it, I think, I think it's, it's quite difficult sometimes as an adult to have a really effective interaction with a child if the context itself, if the, curiosity isn't there 
if the wondering isn't there, if the exploration isn't there, it's quite hard. You end up with this sort of stilted conversation. Whereas actually, if you've got all of those key components of learning, those characteristics of effective learning that we mentioned before, then actually the interaction feels natural. It should feel natural because you're as curious as they are. You're wondering as well, just as much as they are wondering. And so it it kind of works together. It, the, the environment should support the effective interactions, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we know those interactions are crucial. You know, when we go back to that brain development, for those connections to be made in the brain with our youngest children, they need that interaction with adults, you know, to stimulate those connections. So actually, if we know that's important, then we need to get that part right. But absolutely what you said, that needs to go alongside a really enabling environment, because actually we want to be able to spark those ideas from the resources and the layout we see around us. And it becomes then more of a natural conversation that natural learning conversation then happens when you've got those rich resources to be able to use and support children's learning journey with yeah absolutely absolutely so so hopefully already hopefully Claire um people are already thinking do you know what this that does make sense you know and it it really I think obviously I'm biased but I think I think it really does but it does make sense that actually we're not we're talking about doing something well from the very beginning getting it right and having the right consistent approach in order to develop those characteristics of effective learning in order to develop that effective learning process um so if people are listening to this and thinking right that's yeah I do agree with that but where do I start with it where do we start? Because there is such a lot to it, isn't there? That we have to really be clear in terms of actually what's the process we need to go through to get there. So where do we start with this then, Claire? Yeah, and I think it, you you know, you've hit the nail on the head there. It's crucial to get this right. And it's not something that's going to be a quick overnight plan it's something that's going to need really careful consideration because it is very powerful so we want to be able to use it most effectively and I think the process really starts with thinking about the layout of your room so we know that there are those areas of provision that are really key for children in early years you know your sand play your water play those mark making areas all of those are going to be really crucial in in developing children and that developmental process So it's really thinking about those areas of learning and where we position them within the classroom, how we create those small bays for children to engage in those conversations, you know, those rich learning conversations where they feel confident enough to talk and engage. So really thinking about that layout of your room. Yeah, that's that's definitely where we start, isn't it? It's the overall structure. And I I think quite often people miss that. They, They get into thinking about the the slightly smaller detail of the resources, first of all. And that is important and we're going to get to that. But actually, it's key to start with the bigger picture because the way that you lay out your room will make a difference, a positive or negative difference to the way that the children engage within it. You know, if you, yeah, so if if you have like a furniture around the edge of your room with a basically a, a corridor down the middle, you are you are in, almost inviting your children to run through it. You know, you, even if you stand there every day and say, "Don't run," you've given them, you've given them the clearest message 
uh, possible. You've basically said to them, the environment is saying to you, run, go on, run, run through this. It's a straight line, run. <laughs> so you can Absolutely. say every day, don't run, but actually the environment's telling you otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's all about those messages, isn't it? Those subliminal messages we give off. And if we think about how we lay out maybe our tables and chairs, and if we're putting provision around the outside, and then the centre of the room is used more of that focus, structure, teacher time, it, it's those messages we're sending to the children about what what is important and what we value most. And, it, and it's amazing what messages we do give off sometimes by the way we lay out our room. Yes, yeah. It is interesting. So I think as a starting point, I would say to people, stand within your room or stand at the doorway to your room and look in and try to look at it with a new pair of eyes. You know, can you... What messages do you think that your environment, your whole classroom environment, sends to your children and to your parents? You know, what does it say that you value? What does it what does it tell you or your children or whoever it might be that's coming into this space? What is the most valuable thing? So I think that's quite a good starting point. Yeah, um, absolutely. The the other thing that I think is important to do is to consider when you're thinking about that structure. There are some areas of provision that when you're planning the overall space and the structure of the space, there are some areas that kind of earn their place near to one another or or should be linked together as kind of one area. You all right to tell people a little bit, little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And this is one of those conversations I have quite a lot when I'm visiting schools or that we, you know, we're supporting with that enabling environment and it, it's it's rethinking things. So if we think about small world and block play, for instance, they're, they're two areas put together really make an infect, effective learning environment. Because if we think about what children naturally do with small world resources, well, they're going to come up with narrative and role play with them. And then those characters often need an environment to live in or an enclosure. So actually, we've got the opportunity there to use the blocks. And then when we think about block play, often children will build and make enclosures. And therefore, we want to develop that communication, language and narrative play. So the small world then lends itself to that. So there are two areas that I would definitely cite together. I would then think about where I put my role play, for instance, my domestic role play. I think about could that be positioned also near a mark making area? Because if we want children to make marks and it to be purposeful learning, we need to give them a reason to write. And the domestic role play is often one of those where we can provide real life experiences of writing, really purposeful writing for them. Yes, absolutely. And then, then the other thing I, I always think about that's important is, is to think about how that space overall is being used throughout the day. So... You know, are, to look at the, the across the day, how is the environment being used? Because you often find, I often find that there are some spaces in the room that are really busy for one part of the day and then could be empty for the vast majority of the rest of the time. When, of course, if we've only got a small classroom or whatever size of classroom we've got, every space really needs to work. Um, so, you know, the carpet area. How is the carpet area being used is quite an interesting question. You know, of course, obviously, it's being used as a carpet space for all of your children to come and sit down. You know, so it needs to fit 20 or 25 or 30 children on it. But then, you know, how's that being used outside of carpet times? That could easily be a quarter of your classroom space, a fifth or a sixth of your classroom space. 
So if that's remaining empty for an hour at a time or more, then that's probably not the best use of the the overall environment. And so, you know, thinking about having shelving or resources facing onto that carpet space, I think is actually well worth considering. So, so as as a as a place to start, as a place to start, where you know, thinking about the overall layout of the room, I think is a, is a really good thing to get going on. Um, where would you go next with this, Claire? What what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think I would then start to look at each area within that room. I would look at those key areas that, you know, we know are vital for early years children in that learning environment. And I would start to unpick those areas. I'd be looking at the resourcing I'm providing there. Am I providing high quality resources that are really going to give the children the best learning opportunity? I would be choosing them because I know they're effective in supporting children's development. And I would be looking to see, are they going to earn their place with on that shelf? We use that a lot in early excellence, don't we, you know, about resources earning their place. But it's because we know that, one, they're effective in supporting learning. But also, they're open-ended. So children can take those resources and use them, you know, as a real stimulus to support a, a wide variety of learning opportunities. So, yeah, really carefully fine-tuning everything you have on those shelving units or, you know, your display units within your classroom. Yes. Yeah. So I, I think um, I often say to people, start with one area at a time, you know, to choose one area and ideally work as a team because you want the whole team to understand all of this. And, you know, physically take things off the shelf, you know, physically take everything out of this area. OK. And then as a team, take one resource at a time and go to place it back. But as you're doing so, make it earn its place there. So talk. can the team justify, go through this process almost like a, as a panel, can you justify what's there and why this resource earns its place there? What will the children do with it? What are they likely to want to do with it? Do they see it as interesting? Is it an interesting resource or material? Um, and and what, how does that link to the different areas of learning? So, you know, where's the mathematics? Where's the... Uh, where's the communication and language opportunities? Where are the opportunities for shape, space, measures? Where are the opportunities for um, understanding the world and, and so on? And if we can justify why a resource earns its place there, then that's great. And I think that's quite a healthy process to go through because there are often some resources that we've kind of ended up with or we've... Yeah, you inherit them. <laughs> it's that inheritance, yeah, of, of kind of materials that kind of are there because we've got them rather than, rather than should be there necessarily and, and are the best resources that you could have within this space. Um, and so I think that that process is key. I, I often find we don't value that process of of creating areas of provision or even that process of actually what goes into those spaces. We don't value that as much as we value the short-term planning and teaching that we do. Yeah, I, often I think you're absolutely right. And, and if we are saying that continuous provision, you know, is really effective in supporting that learning journey and it's going to be there all year round, then actually we need to make sure that it's really high quality and that we've really thought about every part of it and often, like you say, we, we do inherit resources, but it's a really important process to go through and thinking, what is this resource going to offer our children? And if, and if it's not enough, let's remove it because we really do want it to be effective 
Yes. Yeah. And and sometimes what we end up with is without meaning to, we end up with too many resources within an area. Um, I think as teachers, quite generally, as early years teachers generally, we're often very creative people. We're often thinking of all sorts of things we could do, we could add in, we could we could we could develop. You know, we we end up sort of putting new things in because we think, oh, wasn't that be great? I've seen this. I want to do this, which is brilliant. You know, there's you know there's it's not necessarily a negative, but it does sometimes lead to areas of provision that have kind of lost their way because we've ended up adding lots of things in over time, and so an area can sometimes end up being a bit cluttered because we've just kept adding things in it's a bit like with the timetable we're very good at adding things into a timetable we're not so good at sort of stopping and taking things out and standing back from it and it, and it physically our areas of provision are a bit like that too i think i think this process of really looking critically at it and considering actually how will the children use those resources what will they need actually some of that is about thinning it out a little bit as well yeah definitely often less is more yeah definitely well I think I think too much clutter also it partly it has an impact on tidy up time so tidy up time takes longer and eats into the day more but also I think the the room itself often becomes noisier because of the clutter that that can often be a link I think um and alongside that, I think children are less likely to to have a clear idea of how to use the resources or less likely to value them if there's just lots and lots of, of the same sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that, that's crucial with you know, thinking about how we lay out those resources, you know, what storage are we using to make it accessible for children? Are we making it look inviting for children? You know, if we think about some of the storage we might put our small construction in, if children are having to root through deep boxes to buy, find bits they need, they're going to lose that interest really quickly. Whereas if we're offering it so they can independently access it, it's really accessible, they're going to more likely to sustain that idea and work with it. So it's really important to think about, you know, how you're storing it within within that shelf. Is it open-ended? Can they access them easily? You know, are they well-labeled that children can see and, you know, and access them quite readily? Yes, absolutely. And as I said before, I think we often don't give enough value to this. Um, I th- I think you know in the when you think about it traditionally in the say in the summer, so um, you're getting ready for September. People talk about I'm going in to set up my room, and and I, I get I know what that that means, but at the same time it's the same language that people use when they're talking about getting their classroom ready in year five or year six. You know we talk about they you know a year five or so year six teacher will go in to set up their room. But what they're talking about really is kind of making sure the desks are in the right place and, and generally, you know, have they got their books labelled up or whatever it might be. Yeah, are their boards backed? You know, that kind of thing. Whereas actually, you know, in, in the early years, just setting up your room is, a it, it to me, it kind of, it sounds a bit like I'm getting on my high horse here, but it sounds a bit like it devalues it a bit, that actually it's much more than that, isn't it? You know, preparing your environment or whatever phrase you want to use. Actually, I know that sounds a bit pernickety, but I do think it's important to to kind of make sure that actually what we're talking about here is a process that is really important. It's not just setting up your room. It's actually really skilled. It's a level of planning, really. Yes, absolutely. Go on, sorry. 
No, I was just saying we need to just think about, you know, really carefully those resources we're providing. And I always think about the small world. You know, when you look at the, the animals that you might be offering, you know, are we thinking enough about are they size relative or have we got, you know, a huge pig and a tiny horse? You know, it's that level of really sort of looking at your resources because actually we could be creating misconceptions for these children if they haven't had those experiences or they haven't been able to see animals. So it's really carefully thinking about that. And, you know, are they high quality, making sure that, you know, there's no broken items for those children, because that will, you know, will really devalue the learning that we're offering then. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So, so carefully thought through resources, not too much clutter. So we don't need, for example, you know, 15 buckets in the water area that are all going to get thrown in. Just a few of each thing that have earned their place there for a particular purpose tends to be the best way to look at it. Um, and, and also, as I mentioned before, I think this is crucial. It needs to be a team effort. So really looking at each area in turn, improving it, looking carefully at it, really valuing it in terms of storage, as Claire said, in terms of resources as well, in terms of that real detail of what we're offering here. But it does need to be a team approach because actually it's much easier to sustain if we can get everybody in the team on side with this. Okay, so final thing then, Claire, um, and that is, We've gone through this process. We've looked at each area in turn. Okay, so if, imagine that you're you're in your classroom. You've 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 made sure that each area. You've gone through all of this these thought processes and really made sure that thing that materials earn their place on the shelf. Finally, then, what does continuous provision planning look like? What does the planning for this look like? I think this is a really interesting question, actually, and one that I often think that we don't think enough about. I think we focus on the short term planning. So, you know, what elements I'm going to teach within my whole class or my small group or thinking about planning the enhancements. But often enough, we don't think enough about that continuous provision planning because it does need a lot of fault. It's a really important process. If we're saying that that learning environment is that third adult and it's supporting our learning, then we need to get it right. It really needs to show our thinking process. We've gone through that process really clearly defining those areas. So now our planning needs to show that. It needs to represent represent that sort of planning process. So I would start to think about within that plan what resources I'm offering and what experiences they're going to offer the children. I know that the resources I'm providing are going to offer that deep learning opportunity, but what areas of learning will that support? Well, I know I'm getting a wide range. I'll then think about what the adult's role would be within that continuous provision plan. So actually it gives a guide for adults really to, to utilise the continuous provision as much as possible. You know, it's a really valuable tool to to think carefully about that process. Um, yeah, really important with your planning continuous provision. Yes, and we must remember, of course, that although that's a lot of work, because we're talking about something that is going to be continuous, that once it is put in place, that actually we're not talking about changing it every week or every four weeks or anything like that, it is there. Although it's a lot of work, once it's done, generally it is done. Um, and so it is worth spending a lot of time doing it because actually once it's in place, it is in place. Um, and so, you know, when you do it, don't just do it. You know, I would always urge people a bit, like I said just before, you know, don't sort of, if you're the class teacher in that, in, in your particular room, 
and you're the EYFS leader, don't be the one person who does this job of, of doing the planning because actually that will mean that the rest of the team don't see it as something that they have been part of. It, it, it's better actually to take a bit longer over it and to involve everybody in it than to basically print off a plan and say, well, there's your plan and I've given it to you. Because in some ways, the process, in many ways, actually, the process of doing the plan itself, of completing the plan, is actually far more useful than having the plan itself, the end product, if you like. Um, the end product is great. It's great to have. It's good to show and so on. But actually, if you've got a staff team who have that understanding of everything in the room and could, by, by having done that, could take anybody on a tour around the room and explain the thinking behind everything, then you're in absolutely the right place, I think. Absolutely, because it's about that rich dialogue you'll be having with your, you know, your team, and and each team member will bring their own expertise and experiences, and that's great collaboration to have. But then you also know that what that you're offering is going to be consistent for the children because you've got that shared language and that shared understanding with your team. Yes, yeah, and crucially, you you will know, of course, the the needs of your children. You know, you'll know because you have done your baseline and you have observed your children, engaged with them, you've done all of the processes, really getting to know your children, that you will know that actually what are the, what are the key things that you have available within your room that are organised and are provided to, in order to meet those needs and that you'll understand the role of the adult alongside what you've provided as well, again, in order to meet those needs. So all of that is key, I think, really. Um, we ought to say, shouldn't we, that um, if you are at this point where you are kind of just getting started with it and you're, you're, you know, you're wanting kind of an idea of where to start and some support with this, um, if you go on to the Early Excellence website, so if you go to earlyexcellence.com, um, it's well worth doing. It really is well worth doing. If you go to the Early, early Excellence website, earlyexcellence.com, you will find um, there's a drop down box which uh, is headed Ideas and Inspiration. So you go to Ideas and Inspiration, you'll find a drop down box, and there are loads of resources there. So there are these podcasts, there are blogs as well, there are um, all sorts of materials, audit tools for getting you started and thinking about your practice and your the resources you're providing and all kinds of things like that. And amongst that, there are also some continuous provision um, plans. So there's some that are freely available, some continuous provision plans, some for for, for early years, some for key stage one, and also some for outdoors as well. So those are kind of little tasters, really, so that you can use those as an example, and they're freely available. Um, and we have also, at Early Excellence, we've put together some continuous provision guides, which are, which are thicker guides that have got actually plans for each area that you will generally have within an early years classroom. And we've done one plan for early years with uh, one sorry one continuous provision guide for early years one continuous provision guide for key stage one we've also done one for outside as well and they are there to purchase uh, and there's such a lot of information within them there's loads of useful really really useful information I often work with schools and support them and um, suggest to them that they purchase one of these guides and when I go back in sort of six months time 
you can see the copy the copy that they bought and it's been well thumbed and well used and they're using it almost like as a, a as, as a tool to keep going back to and keep consulting and keep supporting their practice over time uh, so yeah if you're looking Looking for a place to get started, that's a good place to go. Go to the Early Excellence website, Ideas and Inspiration, and get yourself uh, some of those continuous provision plans printed off and some of those audit tools because there's loads there to really get you going with it. Okay. Um, Claire, I'd better let you go, haven't I? Because I know you've got other things that you need to get on to. Um, it's been lovely to speak to you uh, today. Um, thank you ever so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. I've really enjoyed speaking um, to you, particularly about continuous provision. You know, it's something I really hold in my heart and, and really see the value of it. So I really wish everyone good luck in their journey because it really is worthwhile investing that time getting it right. So there you go, lots to get you thinking at the start of this new school year. Um, that's about it for this week from us. Um, thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time.